Hello and welcome to the second edition of Questonia, the podcast that asks the questions we want to know the answers to regarding Estonian news and culture, and hopes you'll be interested in the outcome. I'm Stuart Garlick, and I'm joined again by Marius Hellrand. This podcast is recorded on Wednesday the 13th of May and released on Thursday 14th of May. Our discussions are based on our best research and opinions at the time. We're going to be interviewing Madis Vasa, uh, who is the advocacy expert for the Estonian Green Movement, uh, about various matters relating to Estonian um, government attitude to the environment and uh, what ordinary people can do. But first of all, uh, we've got a couple of news items to go through. Um, Maris, how are you doing? I believe you've had a haircut recently. I had my haircut today after like three months or so so it's uh party time and i owe you congratulations on your birthday on well on uh, on air right now as well thank you so, thank you so uh, much and uh, thank you for coming into the discord chat at the weekend it is uh, so nice to be 25 again <laughs> i i bet this was your first birthday with uh, snow it was my first birthday with snow, and also it was my first birthday entirely conducted online. Uh, must be said, I've been a bit more extra than most people about, uh, you know, uh, quarantining through May. I, I think most people are out and about and enjoying life right now, so maybe I should do the same soon. What do you think? I think uh, you'd, you'll be fine if you really dare to go out a little bit because uh, the the air is uh, clear and uh, it can only do you good to spend some time in nature. Yeah, de- You'll be surprised by the amount of spring you can see around. Definitely. I-, I was saying on Twitter last night, you know, when I actually get out there and start doing normal things again, I might actually feel a bit of Stockholm syndrome for the quarantine. I don't know, but uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, first thing, f- First thing I'm going to do is get rid of the lockdown hair because uh, it's not doing my image any good i can highly recommend a haircut yeah all right so uh as i say in a moment we're talking to maddie's vasa but uh, first let's round up one item of the recent news in estonia um so the emergency law is going through its third reading in the Rikikogu, the estonian parliament and it sets out how estonia will deal with future national crises on the scale of the current pandemic um a potentially valuable thing, given that uh, Yuri Ratas, the Prime Minister, has already said that we're likely to get a second wave of uh, COVID-19 in the late summer or early autumn, uh, according to current science he's getting. Um, so, among other changes, this law concentrates more decision-making power in the hands of the Health Board when it comes to crafting a virus response. Um Marius, before we go into uh, the various kerfuffles around the introduction of the law, um, are there any drawbacks to giving more power to the health board? In general, I would say probably not. Uh, and hopefully, actually, uh, this crisis has taught us one thing, that the health board needs to be staffed properly and uh, have better resources at hand. So providing they have uh, the resources to hire experts as needed, they will be much better equipped to deal with uh, with um, crisis and pandemics in the future and thus make uh, make uh, better decisions because uh, uh, from uh, from sort of a rational point of view I would say that uh, health experts uh, making health decisions 
must always be better than politicians making health decisions. It's it's an interesting counterpoint to the idea that, uh, you know, um, as politicians uh, take more authoritarian stances on dealing with the pandemic, uh, power goes away from scientists. It seems to be almost a, a move the other way, doesn't it, in that respect? Yes, and it's it, um, almost a typical example of how uh, how um, politics is being made in Estonia currently, um, moving even further from uh, from science and expertise because the way this law was passed and how some coalition uh, uh, members voted on Monday to include amendments that would give the health board even more power than uh, the government's original proposal uh, while these same politicians from the same party were criticizing the health board heavily it just uh, i must say it just blows my mind it's very very difficult to understand this political process any longer so um, another really great example of where you get with uh, less and less expertise and uh, politics led by emotions only. Well, it seems on the outset that uh, what it's doing is creating a new form of technocratic government during a, a pandemic, for example. Uh, and so effectively, it's a choice between, you know, giving almost all of the power to the crisis committee, uh, which is elected politicians, or giving it to uh, scientists. And are we just creating another tier of technocratic government during a crisis here? I am not sure what is better, what is um, safer for the society in the long run, because uh, looking at the, the reactions to this crisis, um, we saw, at least in the very early phases, that um, a lot of the decision-making by the crisis committee of the government was based on sort of their gut feelings and uh, and uh, doing things that uh, send a strong message, uh, not necessarily being, uh, being reasonable and rational, like uh, closing down the borders to Latvia and Finland as the first thing, uh, whereas this didn't this wasn't really um, necessary in order to contain the pandemic, but it's a it's a political signal, and many other steps that have been taken. So in that way, it's I think a, a wise thing to do to give more power to experts and scientists. But on the other hand, uh, of course, you need a wholesome view of the whole society when, uh, for example, when. Uh, um, implementing restrictions it's uh, because if the health board says we need to quarantine one city or we need to close down restaurants the health board doesn't um, really take responsibility for all the economic effects that these kinds of decisions will have so uh, ideally there should be some some expertise beyond medical expertise when making these decisions now, according to uh, ERR, the public broadcaster in Estonian, uh, Chancellor of Justice Ule Madis uh, has said, in her opinion, she's moved to assuage fears that uh, the emergency law is not compatible with the current emergency situation, State of Emergency Act as it is, and with the Estonian constitution. Um, do you have any particular view on this? And um, are we creating a pickle in terms of lawmaking here? Or uh, is this something that can be voted through and um, and can not overly complicate the, um, the current Estonian law? 
the aim of this is, of course, um, to achieve more flexibility and to be able to react on emergencies um, in a qu quicker way without actually um, declaring the emergency situation in the legal sense. Because in the legal sense, until Sunday evening, um, the prime minister has uh, vast decision powers that go well beyond his normal uh, normal uh, powers. So uh, in order to avoid this, so that uh, some sort of restrictions can be implemented if needed, without this legal framework, I think uh, a, a law change like that is, um, is reasonable because uh, the other part of this uh, emergency situation legally is that government can push through things like we, we are going to be uh, talking about uh, later in this uh, episode with Matis Wasser, that the government can do things under the emergency law that have actually nothing to do uh, with the with uh, resolving the, the immediate crisis. So um, this would uh, would actually uh, be beneficial to avoid this kind of situation. Okay. Well, uh, we'll talk to Madis Vassel now. Uh, very interesting man, and he's been, um, I think we can say, at the coalface of uh, environmental activism and. Um, uh, teaching people what they can do to uh, push the needle on government policy in terms of the environment uh, and also to flag up the science around uh, CO2 emissions and uh, what Estonia is doing or perhaps more accurately not doing around those. So uh, let's talk to him now. Matis Vasser, uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, perhaps you'd like to introduce yourself first of all in terms of uh, what, what exactly is your role in the uh, Estonian Green Movement and um, how long have you, you been working there for? So hello and uh, thanks for having me. Uh, indeed, I work in the Estonian Green Movement and I'm also the one of the board members there. But as a worker, I'm there for almost two years now working as a advocacy expert on energy and climate issues. And uh, what, what would you say is the main climate issue facing Estonia um, as, as a nation at the moment? Uh, obviously, we've seen a few big news stories that we'll come on to in a moment in terms of uh, how the government is, uh, is dealing or not dealing with climate change. But what would you say is the most immediate priority for the country in terms of the climate and uh, the environment? Uh, well, when you look at the stats, I guess the biggest um, contributor to climate change is our energy sector, and more specifically in the energy sector, the uh, shale energy uh, or the shale industry that we have in Estonia. So, of course, there are no very official stats for the last uh, year uh, still, but, but from 2018, we know that this sector basically contributed, if I'm not mistaken, about 70% of all carbon emissions in Estonia. Uh, and this has been heavily dropping in the, in the last years due to different uh, European level policies. But uh, it's still, I guess, the highest uh, contributor. So this is what we have been working heavily on in our uh, Estonian Green Movement and trying to 
find the best solution how we can transition away from this very uh, old way of energy production into some something new and cleaner and better for the environment. Now, just for those who aren't aware, uh, during the uh, emergency situation around the pandemic, the uh, Estonian government uh, agreed to give 125 million euros uh, as a grant to uh, Estienergia, the uh, partly state-owned energy company, to uh, develop a new, uh, as they put it, clean shale oil plant in um, East Estonia, in Iduviruma, where the uh, current shale oil plant is. before we get on to the um, rights and wrongs of that, uh, wh- what exactly is dangerous about shale oil and why is it so bad for CO2 emissions and for the environment? So the Estonian energy mix has always been heavily relying on oil shale, which is this uh, sediment rock that, that is very abundant in, in the northeast part of Estonia. And we've been mining and burning this for the almost past, Hundred years, uh, and we're the biggest user of oil shale in the world, actually, even uh, topping China. Uh, and why we're the only one is the reason that this fuel is very, very um, energy sparse. So it's not very dense, which means that you have to burn a lot of it to get very little out of it. And in the process, it is very, very car- carbon intensive. So. Yes, when you look at the OECD stats, you will see that Estonia is usually the first or second in the per capita carbon emissions. And this is due to oil shale. I think uh, the the reason, of course, why Estonia gets its energy from shale oil is that this is uh, the only fossil fuel source that we have here. Um, Am I right to, um, if I would say that uh, shale shale oil is actually worse than coal in terms of uh, CO2 emissions. So I'm, I'm going to clarify some uh, keywords here because I guess that's one of the uh, unfortunate things or for the sector maybe even fortunate is that the term oil shale and shale oil and shale mean different things in different parts of the world. So in uh, in the USA shale is this uh, gas you get from fracking the the ground in estonia no we don't do this we have the oil shale which is a rock and from this rock you can either burn it directly or you can uh, heat some oil out of it which become which becomes this shale oil uh the question i think what you wanted to ask is is oil shale uh worse than coal uh when you look at the emission statistics it is true i believe uh so this is the first first problem that it's very very dirty uh although uh, and as you mentioned uh with these new shale oil plants that are being planned and financed uh the narrative is that all well, these will be much greener there will be uh almost two-thirds less uh, co2 emissions but this is due to creative accounting so why it is true that that the production uh, in Estonia uh, results in in far less emissions than directly burning the rock. The oil still gets exported and burned somewhere, and then you have to add these emissions and you have to add the transportation emissions, which in the end gives you even more emissions that would be there if you just use direct burning. So it's definitely not the green solution. 
and and p- politically, the case for oil shale, which um, obviously is unspoken, but it is there, is that if we did not have oil shale mining, we would have to retrain thousands of people in East Estonia, who, um, which is a Russian-speaking region and which is um, vulnerable to influence from um, um, outside actors in terms of media and so on. Um, so um, what could be a positive pathway towards... Um, uh, helping people out of the the oil shale industry into something more sustainable for the future. Yeah, the environmental organizations really acknowledge this this uh, situation we're in that there are thousands of people still working in the industry. Uh, I'm working with the number, the direct uh, number of about four thousand and six hundred people. I'm taking into account these recent layoffs as well, uh, and these people will need to transition into something else. Obviously, you cannot do it overnight, but obviously you need to start it as soon as possible. And we recently also had a study commissioned uh, from the think tank Praxis that uh, looked at what's the best practices from around the world, what are the EU funds available, and they concluded that to start this process, one of the very first things would be to have a real and clear decision to have a phase out. Otherwise, uh, you will end up sending really mixed messages and overall paying a lot more than you would have had paid if you had like a concrete plan and started the transition process early. So what we're working on or working towards is first to get this um, commitment from the government to realize that the situation is such that it becomes very expensive very soon to, well, already it is very expensive to keep up this industry that is going to phase out itself anyway. Uh, so it would be much more reasonable to uh, design this process or, or, or lead this process rather than have it just collapse and then deal with the aftermath somehow is there can you recognize a uh, raison d'etre for this kind of policy of the government because everyone you talk to considering the eu's green deal and the climate agreements 2050 and so on it it just seems like such a logical and rational choice to start a conscious ra- uh, real phase out uh, and of course there is this uh, issue of the employment in the Idavirma, there's issue of energy security, but what what else is there? Why does the government uh, not really want to act on this uh, question? Because uh, the whole um, talk about uh, the new oil shale factory being such a green and beautiful thing is of course um, nothing but greenwash and everyone understands that but it's still happening. Is there an- another reason beyond energy security and the, the job market in Ida Viruma why they are still going ahead with this kind of investments? Well- one official answer that we got was from 2018 when we had uh, the Estonian Green Movement uh, was leading this um, uh, public petition on uh, calling for the beginning of, of these transition plans. 
it had a very uh, aggressive name. Uh, it was Buxit, or it's translated into Shexit, which is Shale Exit. Uh, and it was a petition that went through the parliament and different uh, commissions. And uh, one of the reasons that came back from there was that why this topic hasn't been worked on before was the fact that since it is a very complicated topic, uh, ministries were unsure whose problem this really is. So is it the social problem uh, or is it the financial problem or maybe it's an environmental problem or something forth? So it was kind of bouncing around between different ministries and nobody wanted to be the lead uh, problem problem holder or problem owner. Uh, so that's that's one reason, I guess. And the other one is concerning this most recent investment. What we have gathered is that why this plan is being pushed so hard is that it is the only plan available. <laughs> so there is no plan B that, that people have thought up because why would you need a plan B if the plan A is always going to be uh, like subsidized so so far as we have seen from history? So it's a bit of a lack of imagination also. I think and this, this is, is what we are also trying to do now with the environmental organizations. We're trying to help the locals create the plan B and C. I think the, the follow-up question I'd ask is uh, related to renewable energy because uh, there are putative plans for a new um, giant wind farm off Kihnu Island, which is on the uh, uh, west coast of Estonia, but uh, that has met with some local opposition and um, so looks like it might be hitting trouble. Um, what What is the latest on this wind farm? And also, um, how serious is the government taking wind energy? Well, finishing up the topic of the northeast Estonia, I agree with the, our president who says that um, you have to look these two problems separately. So one is the energy transition and the other is the social transition. Because if you tie them together, you're still... It's an unsolvable problem then, because the region of northeast Estonia cannot provide all of the renewable energy needed for the country, so it has to be more spread out. Uh, but you still can do a lot about these social issues there. Uh, and now taking a wider picture of the whole of Estonia, uh, it's when you go and, and tell to somebody that, hey, have you considered wind energy, people usually laugh at you because everybody knows that for the past seven or ten years not much progress has happened. And this is a, a complicated issue. I know the ministries are now working on on figuring out best practices or good ways to work with the local communities so people would be less against these, these developments if they see direct benefit to themselves as well. So there are uh, examples from around the world how this could be done, and Estonia is now taking the first steps to, to get there. But what the environmental organizations, at least the Estonian Green Movement, is trying to push forward is the notion that we should actually look at the whole energy consumption in general. So if the, if the total amount of energy consumed wouldn't be so huge, then it would be much easier to meet this demand. Uh, currently, we are meeting this demand thanks to the mostly thanks to uh, connections to other countries nearby. So we might be 
consuming Norwegian uh, hydropower at this moment, mostly. Uh, we just don't don't see it because it's so interconnected and automated. That's that's the reason why uh, the oil shale plants are uh, sometimes uh, stopping for for half a day, and we don't even notice because we're in this huge North Pool electricity market, and it, uh, the energy flows quite uninterruptedly. Just uh, maybe to conclude this issue of the new oil shale plant of the new factory. Um, Fridays for Future Estonia has uh, filed a lawsuit against um, the factory being built with the Narva Joesu um, city government. Uh, what do you think uh, are some other steps that um, the society, the civil society could take to derail this or is, that, is there any hope at all? Well, when talking to experts they say that well, there's every hope is still available because uh, when you look at the first first quarter review of, of Estonian Energy uh, yearbook or, or report, they say that they haven't even started these uh, tender processes to to build or or uh, plan these plants. So it's very much in the very early stages, and I guess now they will wait even further because it's it's even unclear if it's legal or not. Uh, so that's that's one powerful way that uh, the youth have really bought us extra time on this issue, and uh, the environmental organizations uh, all over Europe uh, just recently wrote a letter to the European Commission asking their position on this slight controversy that the Estonian government is asking for these just transition funds to move into a low carbon economy, but at the same time, the exact same amount is being uh, invested into continuing this uh, this very carbon intensive business. Exactly. So yeah. that would be an interesting angle. And I've heard from here and there that, that other uh, society groups are already also looking ways to either petition against this thing, uh, pressure the, the politicians and so on. So. You could do something if you're a local in the region and you don't like these developments, and you can do also something if you're in Kihnu. This oil plant, of course, is not the only measure, the only thing that the government has pushed through, uh, now sort of hidden within these uh, cluster laws um, to uh, relief um, or to deal with the, with the corona crisis. Um, there's um, the the lowering of the diesel excise uh, duties, and uh, and there's uh, another uh, another measure to make it easier to burn or make it easier and cheaper to burn uh, timber in in the uh, the power plants. Um, we how can we deal with uh, with that uh, like when under the pretext of uh, of crisis relief? Actually, the government is going ahead with uh, sort of old um, old energy promoting uh, law changes. The biomass burning is not not made cheaper. It's actually subsidized. Subsidized, so it's you're paying uh, extra for it for it to be done. Yes, we have seen that that 
the attempts to to save the economy are are very dubious in in terms of uh, the environmental impacts. It's very hard to battle against this at the moment because uh, it's so easy to say that well no we can we have to do these very uh, risky or or backwards investments at the moment because uh, otherwise everything will collapse. Uh, I guess here you can ask different people. Uh, and they will have different opinions. My personal opinion is that since every country in the world is is currently having this mindset, then Estonia might have some uh, bright ideas to consider this and perhaps start building more towards resilience. So if the USA is basically stopping currently all environmental laws, then their pollution will be huge. And uh, Estonia now has the chance to kind of foresee this and start thinking how to how to cope with that. And the that logic should be that well, we could cope by investing in in more resilient and more kind of future proof, or as the locals in in the Itävieru county say, uh, climate proof solutions. So whatever the climate policies do in the future, ideally we would be doing stuff here in Estonia that is not touched by these regulations because we're already well like out of this uh, these industries or doing something that actually benefits the climate in terms of uh, the climate strikes that we saw last year um where the school children went and protested outside Riga kogu and in terms of uh, civic action um <clears throat> for, for example, the strikes also at last year's Opinion Festival, Avonwest Festival, that there is a lot going on. But uh, um, how much more can be done and how much more needs to be done on a civic sort of small activist level to actually get the needle pushed on this issue? Well, the question is, I guess, the, what do we think that what works or what doesn't work? So we could have these small protests, but the current government at least really seems very undisturbed by these and currently well it's very nice for them because no protest can happen so it seems that like the climate youth now found a very very annoying thing to do for for these developments which is to stop it legally or at least try and we see this really has some physical real world effects so if it goes through and if the case is successful at least this permit will be stopped and maybe the process will take so long that the whole construction will stop because these shale oil plants are very time critical. So if you can't get it built in the next four or five years, then it's already too late. And the oil prices, even these very optimistic uh, prognoses of the oil prices will be such that there's no point of building these things anymore. So I guess we can try and uh, delay these things as much as possible because in the end time will do its do its work how everybody could contribute i guess the point is that do whatever you do best so if it's protesting then be the best protester you can be if it's uh, petition writing do that if it's uh, reading boring long documents and commenting on these these people are also very needed so uh, everything is is useful at the moment I think one one big uh, problem here is that um, Estonian politics doesn't really have a green um, torchbearer, if you like, the, the 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 support, the public support in the political sphere for the Green Party is marginal, and uh, and there is no one really to um, make this their own issue. 
Um, as long as that doesn't change, I mean, we are a parliamentary democracy where um, politics can be and has to be influenced by uh, by parliament, by the parliament, by the political parties, and there is no uptake for the green issues, which is very um, strange, in fact, if we think of, of the great success of, uh, of the green different green parties in other European countries, quite close to us even. There's also the, the problem in Estonia or the situation is such that uh, last year before the elections we had a huge debate uh, between all the, all the uh, parties that were running in the elections and in that debate it became clear that these dividing lines don't even run like between the parties but it's within the con- within the parties so in a single party there could be people against shale and for shale and so on so it's it's very difficult to say like which party should you vote for because you can end up with with whichever uh, position in the end where, when the votes are counted I wonder as well to what extent um, part of the issue is that uh, no, no matter what it seems Estonia does environmentally in the background, such as giving money for shale for, for oil shale and so on, it doesn't actually change the PR perception. So um, Estonia is still able to market itself internationally as this green and pleasant land with beautiful bogs and swamps and so on, um, and people buy it because it's true. Uh, and you know, if you come to Tallinn, then you just need to take a breath to notice that uh, the air is remarkably breathe- breathable compared to, say, Paris or London. But to, to what extent extent is this actually the problem that uh, you know ordinary people on the ground don't see a big difference in terms of pollution so they don't feel the need to protest against it yeah yeah uh, this this brings us back to the beginning when you ask what's the biggest climate problem uh, there's these these issues that contribute to the climate but in the sense that what's what will be the impacts in Estonia uh, I think that's that's our uh, curse here that that we are in a very somewhat safe place so the temperatures will probably not be very extreme uh, anytime soon and the sea will not rise dramatically uh, so we're, we're covered in in many respects but we will lose the winters our summers will get much stranger so that will be that will be something that is it will be pleasant for a, for a moment and then it gets hellish um, well, we're already seeing that we had we had snow in may a couple of days ago didn't we yeah, uh, so I'm worried, worried for my plants. Uh, but I think the problem is, like, I have to, I have to uh, congratulate many officials because they are very good at doing the bare minimum that is needed in order to to fulfill some, uh, I don't know, very supreme goals. Because the truth about Estonian emissions is that they dropped significantly. They dropped by fifty percent in 1993. And since the the Paris Agreement takes their base year as 1990, then it's very convenient for Estonia to say that we are climate leaders. Look at how how far we have come. But actually, when you take the year 1993 and up to the year 2018, then basically our emissions are pretty much the same. We even have risen a bit. So, so far in, in history, our great uh, environmental achievements have come from collapse of of something so 
also you have maybe seen on the news the Estonian energy is claiming that last year thanks to much uh, much work their emissions have dropped further 40 percent while actually the truth is that simply the co2 price the the pollution price went so high that they had to shut down the uh, plants very abruptly so yes they did drop the emissions but not on their own will I just maybe if we can touch one more issue that is uh, sort of an argument that you come across a lot in in this whole climate debate. People are saying, well, but we in Estonia, we spend much less energy than people in the Western Europe. And after all, we are such a small country. It doesn't make any difference at all. How do, how do you counter that, that, uh, that argument? That is so strange that uh, the leaders of our country are saying that Estonia is so small and insignificant that whatever we do, it doesn't matter. I have taken a different approach saying that, well, Estonia is actually a very forward-looking country. It would be so easy for us to show the way to the to the other countries of the world, actually, because everybody is faced with this problem of how, to, how do we drop our emissions and nobody knows how to do it. And so currently Estonia is trying to be this laggard in the back rows and seeing somebody else is figuring it out but actually we have all the tools to be the first ones so as again as the president says we have to do this um, leap to the future so we can skip some like transition periods and we can go straight to the next thing because Estonia has many benefits we are small we are nimble we have the most digitized uh, electric grid I believe so we have all the pieces, but we don't have the will at the moment. So this is something we have to work for. I'm not sure we can do it with the with the current government. Perhaps the next one. That that was one thing that we have been um, thinking uh, in the environmental movement that other countries have the climate law uh, or some version of the climate law, and we thought that well, could we use such a thing in Estonia as well? And then we figured that well, maybe not the, <laughs> under the current government maybe the next one estonia is uh, gradually reopening and uh, we're gradually feeling more relaxed going outside and doing normal things um maris i hope that uh, whatever your plans are this week uh, you enjoy yourself and uh, maybe you'd like to read us out now thank you for listening to questonia you can subscribe to the podcast on spotify apple podcasts or wherever you get your audio from Join us again in two weeks on Thursday, 28th of May. Bye for now.